0: Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Leading the Line podcast. As well as championing women's football, one of the other reasons this podcast has been set up is to support people following their football dreams. So, this week we speak to Jordan Florit, author of Red Wine and the a Kickstarter project looking at football in the South American country of Venezuela. So without much further ado, let's get straight into it. Uh, firstly, Jordan, thank you very much for joining me. Um, before we delve into the project, which is Red Wine and Arepas, which we're here to talk about um, today, do you, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. So
1: yeah, I'm Jordan. I'm I'm 25. I live in London. I'm originally from Southampton. Uh, so a big big Saints fan. I've always written. Uh, I started writing when I was at like primary school. I was teachers and parents always encouraging me to write because it was something I like showed a natural interest in. So I've always been writing bits and bobs there. I started writing online about nine years ago now, uh, writing about football, uh, culture, current affairs and politics, paid and unpaid over the nine years I've been writing. Um, I had a job offer to go and work in Ecuador two years ago, uh, but my wife and I already had a date set for our wedding, so it wasn't something I could accept at that time. Uh, but ultimately, like, writing is, is my passion and, and, and that's where I want my career to fully be. Yes,
0: um, I... And we'll talk about that right now. So I think maybe before we get into the the, the concept of the Kickstarter and Red Wing and Arepas, um, I actually first became aware of you through a series you were writing about Cuban football. I think it was on football in the city, but um, I can be corrected in that by yourself. No, that's correct. Yeah, spot on. Oh, amazing. There we go. Um, and you've also covered, as you've already alluded to, a number of pieces about Latin American football in general. So what attracts you to that that part of the world?
1: So when it comes to writing, the, I do have an, a natural draw to that part of the world, which I'll explain, but I think when it comes to the writing, uh, it's sort of like I, I'd written a few bits on on Latin America on topics that I'm particularly passionate about, and then I think people see that that's what I'm writing about and then ask me to write more about that because that's, that's what they're seeing. So I think it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy there. Um, but how I got into uh, Latin America as like an interest and, and a passion is that the dad's side of my family are Spanish, and my granddad died when I was quite young, and I sort of lost touch with the Spanish side of my family. Um, so it's something that I've really had to throw myself into to sort of recapture uh, what I lost. So I've got a, a big interest in in Spain, now. but then that, as I got older, the more I read, expanded into Latin America in general. Obviously, the shared language um, and aspects of the culture that are similar. And I'm a massive reader. So I just started reading about Latin America. My go-to way to learn about countries is through reading. I think a good football book can really reflect communities and society. My favourite authors are Jonathan Wilson and James Montagu. Uh, both their books are like anthropological masterclasses on the countries that they're writing about. And uh, Jonathan Wilson's Angels with Dirty Faces, a book about Argentina, I think it's just like up there as as one of the best football books that there is. I really am interested in what goes on in football outside of the pitch, off of the pitch, and how football has a relationship with, with society, politics and, and communities. So in Latin America, I think football still has a lot of what we've lost in England and in Britain. The relationship between football and the country uh, is still a lot more impassioned I think we're suffering at the moment from the the marketing of the game it's becoming a consumer product Um, whether that's good or not for the sport divides opinion but I think you still get a lot more authenticity in football in Latin America and and that really appeals to me so I think I, I came I came to have a real passion about writing football in Latin American countries from two aspects really a natural interest in the countries for what they are and the the culture and then also the more I discovered about the football the more the game in its state appeared uh, appealed to me
0: yeah and you are preaching to the choir when you talk about the the wider reach of football to help understand the culture Um, you've made some really re- great references there as we're recording I've actually been reading the Welcome to Hell book by uh, John McManus about Turkish football and that is a, an excellent read as well but back to what you're writing and it's Red and Repos. So do you want to kind of break down what the concept of the book is for us?
1: Yeah, so what I'm hoping to do with the book is provide readers with another way to learn about Venezuela. I I found myself when I was reading about the country that in English, at least, the only books on Venezuela are either about Hugo Chavez um, and the revolution or or Simon Bolivar. And whilst I found those books really interesting and I, I read them all, when I then turned to read about books that weren't about that books about football uh, they they just weren't any uh, so i i hope with my book that i can sort of plug that gap but it's not that's not how i made my decision i've i've been reading books on latin america for years now and it was it's probably two or three years since i last um read a book on venezuela so it wasn't like oh there's a gap in the market let's write a book it was more i ended up revisiting venezuela this time from a football perspective, because so I was pitching an article to these football times uh, about Venezuela. I wanted to write about their under-20 team from 2017 that got to the final of the World Cup. And I reached out to a few Venezuelan journalists, uh, one of which got back to me with a lot of enthusiasm. His name's Carlos Toracha. is the CEO of a Venezuelan football outlet called Solo Venex on Twitter. And he was really, really useful uh, he put me in contact with Christian Casares Jr., who's a central midfielder for New York Red Bulls. Uh, again, he was really open. And what I what I want to do is provide a different narrative on the country uh, to what there is at the moment. I don't want to change the narrat- uh, I don't want to change the conversation on Venezuela. But at the moment, it's one dimensional. If you if you ask somebody about Venezuela or if you think about Venezuela, what you see on the news, all of it is politics. There isn't another discussion. On Venezuela there's not another way of viewing the country Uh, and where I strongly believe that football is a great reflection of society and culture I I think I can provide a story on Venezuela through the medium of football uh, and that's why that's what I hope to do with this book
0: yeah and you've probably then touched on the next question about um about the book itself which is why Venezuela um it's not necessarily a country that most people would associate with football and I'm pretty sure actually in the country itself football isn't in the number one sport so you've touched on that a little bit already but what was it in particular that then made you decide Venezuela would be the one that you were going to focus on especially given the fact that you've had as you've said already yourself a, a wide range of experience of South, South American countries in general?
1: Yeah so like I, I could have just you know uh, one way of answering that question is like oh I could have Written it on Guatemala, for example, but like you know, the football potential of Guatemala isn't big at all. Whereas, Venezuela, I think there is potential for the country to really excel in football. Um, and it's part of the reason why I've subtitled the book How Football is Becoming Venezuela's Religion. Uh, you rightly point out it's currently not the biggest sport in Venezuela, it is growing, and I think it's Growth is irreversible. I do think it will topple baseball, um, which probably is still ahead as the number one sport in Venezuela. Uh, but like you say, it's not the predominant sport in the country. It's mainly popular uh, around the borders of the country, um, and particularly uh, near the Andean mountain range on the border with Colombia. The heartland of football, uh, be fair to say, is there. Big team uh, called Deportivo Táchira. They have a big following and it's sort of the the hotbed of football in the country. Uh, But the reason why Venezuela, from a football perspective, um, is I was really drawn to the progress that they're making in the past 15 years, I'd say. Uh, They've got a long history of being not just underdogs when it comes to Latin American football, but, you know, real small fry. They went from... 1967 to 2007 without winning a single game in the Copper America, uh, you know that's, that's a long time. That's 30 years without uh, a victory in in international competitive football uh, in in the Copper America. And then things changed fairly quickly, and they, they've been on an upwards trajectory ever since then. In 2007, they hosted the Copper America, hosting a football tournament or any major sporting event is always good for that sports profile even if it doesn't always leave the best legacy we've seen with like South Africa and Brazil what hosting the World Cup and and the Olympics uh, respectively in Brazil was done to the country from an economic uh, stance and and the legacy but the sport itself really benefited um, from hosting the copper it benefited in numerous ways one of which is that people took notice uh, it, it gave them a reason to unite behind the country. Whatever your political persuasion was, uh, Venezuela, the football team, La Vino Tinto, gave you a reason to to feel passionate about your country. Um, and another thing they did in that same year, 2007, is the domestic league, uh, which has been undergoing uh, a real increase in its professional status. Introduced the rule called uh, the juvenile rule, which basically states that every team. Uh, in the domestic league need to field at least one under 20 player in their starting 11 uh, every game. And, you know, that is an actual regulation. It's enforced. It has to happen. You get fined if it doesn't. Um, And from 2007 when they hosted the copper to the the copper just passed uh, last month, the growth in the football has been huge. There was only one player in the 2007 squad playing in a big European league. Uh, That was Juan uh, Jarango, who was at Mallorca at the time, whereas in this competition just gone, there was only one player that played domestically. So you've gone from having one player playing in a big European league to only one player playing domestically. Uh, So that 12 years has been a real growth in the football in Venezuela. And you look at the country, it's population of 30 million, yet they've never qualified for a World Cup. They've got this historically a terrible record in the Copa. And you think, well, why is that? And I think there's a lot of questions to answer in writing this book to explain why that is. Obviously, one of the big things is that baseball was a big sport in Venezuela and has normally been the leading one, but I don't think baseball gives you that international uh, representation that football provides and people crave. So I'm I'm really interested in tracing that progress, why it's happened, how it's happened, and also uh, football's place in society what it brings the effect it has on culture and the effect that culture has on the sport and vice versa its relationships with other aspects of society like politics community society and and that's really what I want to do with the book and, and that's why I chose Venezuela.
0: Yeah and it's I think it's and it probably leads into the next question because, as you've already alluded to a couple of times, um, I'm also a, a very much a, a fan of the Spanish-speaking world. Um, so Venezuela is a country... That has had a lot of coverage, maybe not so much in the in the UK, but uh, especially if you follow any kind of Spanish news outlets, it's, it's pretty much a daily occurrence at the moment. Um, I can imagine that Then, that in some respects, that may have made it a little bit difficult to research the book. You, you've touched it already, some of the help you've had to this day. Um, have you had any like real challenges, though, when you've been trying to get something that maybe you really wanted to focus on? So I think the biggest challenge
1: that was um, in my head when I started the project, I sort of like mentally uh, drew up a list of things that I thought were going to be hurdles. Ones that I thought I could get over as long as I tread carefully. And then others that I thought, you know, these are going to be big challenges that could either make the project fail um, or succeed. And the, the biggest challenges at the beginning, there were two. One was make actually making the physical decision to go to Venezuela, which I'm going to do at the end of October. Um, and the, what the challenge was there is is it safe is it wise to do um and what am i gonna what am i gonna do when i'm there in terms of my security my safety and also you know practical things like getting around the country uh, accommodation stuff like that and the other big challenge was the political nature of the country um do i need to tiptoe around that in order for people to be responsive to the project and Uh, by and large the answer I gave myself is yes like I should and whilst I do still think that's the case I did make a few mistakes early on in almost my desire to leave politics out of it as the main focus of the book which has always been my aim the the main focus of the book is football but how football can explain the country and obviously politics is one aspect of that and I firmly believe football is inherently political so I don't think you can escape that but I I almost you know I was trying to avoid treading on eggshells so I was trying to leave politics out of it where possible and in doing so maybe I glossed over um, some aspects and one article I wrote on Venezuelan football that one for these football times uh, a guy called Dominic rightly called me up on something that I wrote in the article he was full of praise for the football side of things and what he uh, criticised me for was how I'd skimmed over the um, the situation with Juan Guaido, the opposition leader. Uh, when Venezuela played Argentina in a friendly back in March, um, Guaido sent his ambassador to meet with the team. And I, I made reference to that and I made reference to how um, Guaido had announced himself as the... The president of Venezuela, and I, I tried to I tried to not give too much weight to it. So I think I summarised it in one sentence of 20 words, and in doing so, it came across lazy and sloppily. But it, it, my intention was to to try and leave politi- politics out of it, and in doing so, um, it, it was sloppy basically. And Dominic was right to call me up on it, and it it sort of reinforced my gut feeling that I I should actually. I I should go for this. I shouldn't sense political opinion. That that was never my intention to do so. But what I I really want to do with this book is deliver it from a detached um, stance. So no matter what people say to me, wherever that falls on the political spectrum, I'm not going to censor what they say. Um, Obviously, I will fact check statements of fact. If someone says something that patently isn't true, um, I'm not going to publish it. Uh, But when it comes to opinion, um, you know, whatever people say, um, I'm going to leave uncensored. So the two biggest challenges were the political aspect. Do I tackle that head on or do I try and completely leave it out? Um, And the the answer that I've come to is I'm going to take it head on. It's not going to be intentionally a political book, but politics will feature heavily. um, And I think that's inescapable. And then the other challenge was, you know, should I go there? And the justification to myself was I don't think I could write a Good book on venezuelan football without going to venezuela and i wouldn't be comfortable in doing so so that's a decision i had to make really early and i'm gonna go and i'm gonna write the book and i, I don't think i could do it otherwise
0: yeah i think i think that's a, a very wise decision and you're right because you can sometimes write things and i've done it myself where you write something maybe from a, a far away far away eye but actually to be there will, will certainly add extra weight to what you're doing and um, let's talk about the name of the book actually because um, I used to live in Madrid, we've kind of touched on that already, so I have had some interactions. There was actually one of my, my favourite um, re- uh, restaurants was in one of the uh, Mercado de Ceballos uh, in the centre of Madrid. It was a Venezuelan um, arepa stop. Um, the name of the book is Red Wine and Arepas. What was the, the thought process behind that name? I know you've already explained the kind of subheading, but that, that headline title, what does that mean in a Venezuelan context?
1: So I think that the subtitle um, was like originally... Uh, the title of anything. I think the subtitle influenced what the title was going to be. Um, like I said, I think football is, well, it's described the world over um, as a religion to lots of people. And I think where football is increasing in status in Venezuela and something that everyone can get behind, it provides unity to a country that doesn't have much. Um, I I came to the conclusion that I wanted to call the book um well, I wanted the connotations of the book of how football is becoming Venezuela's religion rather than how it became Venezuela's religion. because I don't, it's not there yet, but I think it will be. And then the international side, their nickname is Lavino Tinto, which basically transliterates as the red wine. And then uh, arepas, as you know, is a, a Venezuelan dish, a very popular one. Uh, it's a bread like product. Um, so then I had like red wine and bread, the religious connotations of, of wine and bread. And that's how I came to the title, really. Red wine and aherpas is two staples of Venezuelan life in the football team and the food and, and how football is becoming a religion of the country. And it, it all tied together nicely.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Anytime I read it, I, I think about having a polo and and uh, it makes me happy. So, yeah, and it's really good to know that the, the deeper meaning behind it as well. And um, we know that at the moment it's an ongoing research but it's a Kickstarter project that we're talking about just now. And um, from what you've researched so far, is there anything that's kind of surprised you that maybe you weren't expecting? Or has anything come up that was maybe not an in initial plans, but it's actually led to something really good?
1: Yeah, so I think the, the biggest surprise um, I've had when researching, which in turn has led to a lot of the, the good things with the project so far, is just the openness and the willingness to engage from Firstly, people that don't know me and have no reason to trust me because they don't know me and I've just approached them on social media and by email. Their openness and willingness to to help with the project has been surprising, especially coming from a background of of living and writing about football in England, where trying to talk with clubs or players direct is, is near on impossible. There's a different culture in England with the football. They're held at arm's length. As, as like you know practically especially in the Premier League like superstars like untouchable um, sort of pull the drawbridge up behind them when they they make it as a professional. and so that was a big surprise. I was I was being passed contacts for players and managers um, you know openly and being given suggestions of who to talk to and who could help with the project so that the people were so responsive and receptive to the idea and really eager, to help and I didn't expect that um at all uh, I was hoping that I could maybe talk to a few uh, influential people experts um and maybe the odd player or two but the more I researched and the more I got into the book it actually became more of a case of this can be a football book that is mainly based on conversation with people involved in the game be it Football players, managers, officials, and journalists, and that will be the real meat of the book: conversation um, and meeting. So I won't be writing it from a distance. I won't be writing it um, as as an observer from far away. I can really write this book from an immersive uh, position where I'm, I'm talking to to players and managers and the like face to face, and being able to tell their stories as a lot of stories in venezuelan football that are are fascinating but there's nowhere to read them and and hopefully that's what i can do with this book the 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 other big surprise um that there's been uh is how how everyone sort of knows everyone which i guess maybe isn't that surprising but once you once you had built up a relationship with one or two people uh then then suddenly they put you into contact with the same person and the network uh, of, of contacts that I've built sort of all know one another and it's all become reinforced and it su- suddenly I just found myself amongst it and you know that really took me back uh took me aback like t- to think that I'm suddenly talking with with professionals that you know I was talking to a player a couple of hours before he then played a game in the MLS like that's that's crazy and I sort of had to pinch myself and think oh, this is actually happening this this is mad um from like a a comic stance I, I posted on Twitter like last week ago uh, last week I was looking through pictures of of uh, the domestic league and uh, I saw a player in the background of one of the pictures with just outrageous haircut I don't know if you saw it but um, basically it looked like somebody had shaved his head apart from around the edges so he still had a fringe he still uh, had like a hairline but in the middle of his head was completely bold and it just looked absolutely ridiculous so I said to someone like you know, do you know who this player is? Like, why is his hair like this? And apparently, it's a like tradition in Venezuela that when a uh, a youth player makes his debut in the first team, it's like a it's a rite, it's a passage that they will shave his head down the middle and give him a stupid haircut. And it's just like little little bits like that I've just found like interesting and funny. And you know, I I wouldn't have got that if I just wrote a book about Venezuelan football from my bedroom.
0: Yeah, I have I have seen the picture and I did, I did wonder myself. Um, by all means, we'll, we'll plug your socials at the end, but I would definitely suggest go, go finding that picture because it's uh, it very much is like a stag-do prank gone wrong. <laughs> it's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I'll well, tell you what, we, we've talked about the book quite a lot and I think what is very evident is you, you, this is going to be a, a really interesting, exciting project especially if you're a football fan. Um, it's going to be a Kickstarter project. So this is your this is your chance for the kind of the big sale at the end of this of this interview. What should what should people why should people is probably a better question. Why should people uh, be interested in the Kickstarter and of course sign up to pre-order a copy of the book?
1: Well, I think this book will appeal to not just football fans, but hopefully people that, that do want to learn more about Venezuela, uh, maybe have an interest in just Latin American culture. Um, or or history or the politics I think all four of those um, all four of those topics will be prevalent throughout the book uh, with with football very much being the main one so hoping it appeals to more than just football fans but I think what I what I hope to do with the Kickstarter project is really offer a different experience um, of being a reader being a a customer really of buying a book and I think through the Kickstarter I'm going to be able to offer People a different experience, so I'm going to be having a writer's diary that I'm going to be keeping throughout the process of writing the book. So um, everyone that gets behind the Kickstarter project will receive uh, regular emails from like behind the scenes of how the book's progressing. So like photos from interviews and and like little stories that may not make it to to print that I just pick up along the way, like my experiences of being in Venezuela, for example, when I go at the end of October. And also like anyone that gets behind the Kickstarter project um, will have their name incorporated into the artwork of the book. There's a really good artist um, on Twitter called Arwin Thomas. Um, He's a really good illustrator. He makes pictures out of people's names and I'm hoping to make some really nice artwork to to feature in the book. Um, And that will have everyone's name who who becomes a a backer through Kickstarter involved in like this project won't happen without the backers. Um, So, it's only right that they're a big part of this project and another aspect of that that ties in is where the vast majority of this book is yet to be written although I have concrete plans for it to be it leaves room for people that are supporting this project to have their own say and uh, give direction to the final 10-15% of the book like people can come to me with what they want to know about the country or aspects of the football that they are interested in knowing more about and I'll be, able to, I'll be able to provide answers to that, hopefully. So I think it will be a very different experience to just buying a book that's already written on the shelf. It will give people a chance to be involved with the process. And another thing I'm going to do through the Kickstarter is provide people with the opportunity to have their own uh, feature piece, their own article included in the book, in the postscript. So if people want to write their own opinion piece on Venezuela, um, particularly, hopefully it's football, there, there's going to be a chance for people to get involved in that way as well. So I, I really think my Kickstarter campaign, if you go and check it out, will offer you a, a very different experience to just buying a book off the shelf. And I hope that appeals to people.
0: Yeah, that I mean, what you've said there, a lot of that sounds very innovative, innovative as well in terms of how people pitch these kind of projects. So it'll be really interesting to see how that develops over the course of time, of course, I will be signing up. Um, thank you very much for joining me today, John, to talk about the book. The Kickstarter is now live, but of course, I can't let you leave without plugging your social media channels. Um, the link for the Kickstarter will be in the description for this podcast. So how can people get in touch with you if they want to?
1: So my my Twitter is the TheFalseLibero, um, three words. And there's a Facebook page for the book as well, uh, just Red Wine and the Repas, the title of the book and I, i'm happy for people to email me as well so my email if you want to find out more about the project um or you have questions that haven't been answered you can either drop them on the kickstarter campaign but also my email is uh, jflow at hotmail.co.uk which is j a y f l o. more than happy for people to email me there as well and i just want to reiterate that this project will be very immersive for the people that get behind it i think you won't be just backing a book here you'll be backing an experience that I'm going to take everyone along with me Uh, the journey is going to be you know a good 12 months long and I'm going to be really uh, hitting heavy on keeping everyone involved in the project uh, along the way you will be signing up to more than just having a book at the end of the day like it's going to be a really exciting 12 month journey and I'm going to be keeping everyone uh, involved with it all the way through
0: that sounds excellent. Um, thank you very much for speaking to me, Jordan. And I'm sure we'll speak again in the not too distant future. Thanks, Chris. Thank you again to Jordan for joining me. His approach to the Kickstarter really is well thought out. So please go have a look. And if you're interested, definitely sign up. He's, he's doing fantastically well. And hopefully we get him over that line. If you like this episode, then why not subscribe to Leading the Line, uh, the podcast? obviously bash out those five-star reviews and the website um, there's lots of content on there so go on to com and get yourself on the mailing list you can also follow me on Twitter at MFPtasty but for now thank you very much for listening